Good morning, church. <laughs> Hello, Dean. <laughs> I've always wanted him to sing, I loaded 16 tons, you know what I mean. Now, I bet you could do that good, right? God is good, amen? amen? The famous actor Gregory Peck, and a lot of you young folks are like, who's that? I, I, I liked his movies, but nonetheless, once was standing in line with a friend out in Los Angeles waiting in a, at a restaurant. There's a long line. It's going a little slow that day or that evening. And his friend finally just said, why don't you just tell the maitre d' who you are? And Gregory Peck responded with some great wisdom. He said, if you have to tell them who you are, then you aren't. Hopefully, you've noticed throughout this year, actually, the series of messages that we've been talking about and the, our, really our theme for this year is spiritual growth, of course. And hopefully, you've looked at those different steps that we've been taking to try to accomplish that in all of our lives, that God would have us to grow spiritually. And hopefully, in that, you've discovered your part to do in that, your what it is that God has called you to do and what God has called you to be. And so through that spiritual growth, some of that starts oozing out of you, if you will. You begin to see a reflection of that. You see actual growth, things that have changed in your life just a little bit or perhaps a whole lot. Hopefully that is the case. You know, a lot of people will say, well, that's my attitude and that's the way I've always been that way and that's the way I'm always going to be. A new Christian should never be that way. We're, we're called to change in our process. Someone said, well, I'm like the, you know, I may get mad, but I get over it in a few minutes. Or I may have this bad attitude, but I usually get past it pretty quickly. Well, a, a tornado only lasts a few minutes, but look at the damage that it does. And so God has called us to change. And the way we change is by getting in the Word of God and studying the Word of God and being Uh, if you will, around other mature Christians and trying to grow in that process. And then we grow through that, through that. And so that someone can look back at your life, you can look at your life and simply say, wow, I've really grown. Still room for growth for all of us, but yet we can say that we've grown some. I would also like to remind all of us that how we are as maturing in Christ as we become these spiritual Uh, oh, if you will, champions in life as we are called to be, that we are actually to make a difference in the next generation. There's always a generation that follows, and the generation that follows is always looking. Now, we know that in the young generation, we might say, when we were young, our parents would just say the same about us. Oh, they're a little wacky. They don't know what they're talking about. They think they know everything and all of that. But yet we look to our parents and our grandparents and we learn some traits from them that we now carry into our generation. Well, it's the same for those of us that are blessed to have children and grandchildren and what we're pouring into them and making a difference in their life. Hopefully it is to make them know a little bit more about who Christ is. And by doing that and saying that, I would simply point out that we are to call, we are called to make, I believe, to make God so attractive that they not only want what we have and are displaying in our life, 
but that they want even more of what it is that we have. The question comes with that is, anyone looking at your spiritual walk and wanting more of it? That's a powerful question. It needs to be a question that we ask ourselves often. Now, we, we know that our attitude, our wisdom, and our sense of humor, we can adjust those things, and we pass those on to our next generation or those that are around us, of course. But how about your spirit is the question that I have for us today. That they see in you the Spirit of God so full of life, so full of life, so full of joy, so full of power that they actually want what you have plus more. Wouldn't that be awesome? Is anyone saying that about you in your life, in your walk with God? You know, when I look back and as I started to, to, to write some things down, I've worked on this message for a, quite a while and pulled some from old stuff that I've used in the past as well. And I really didn't, it was supposed to be three or four weeks ago, but it never just hit. It just never felt right. But reflecting in my own personal life, in my life, When I look back and I really reflect upon the things and the people that shaped me, I discovered something, and I discovered that they all had something in common. I mean the ones that really had an impact in my life. Every single one of them, and I can name them right off, every single one of them had something in common, and that was not only were they people of integrity, because I've always been drawn to people with integrity. It's something about those people I want to be more like, but I find myself not as good as oftentimes. I want to be. But what also they had in common was they were these spiritual people that something of them I craved dearly in my life. And they poured into my life things that, I mean, I'm just, they're still coming out. And I'm so thankful I'm so thankful that they poured into my life. And I thirst for that, more of what they gave me, more of what their life was like. Well, that's where we get started in the story for the next couple of weeks, actually, if everything goes as planned, unless God says something different. There's a man in the Old Testament. He's a prophet. His name is Elisha with an S. And he sees this individual so full of God, so full of power, so full of just this integrity of walking with God that he actually says that I don't want some of what you have. I want a double portion of what you have. He didn't look at all the other things of life. Man, you could throw a ball really fast. I want that. Man, you can do this or you can put models together or you can do that. You can really talk well and all that. No, 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 no. He said, I want from you a double portion of your spirit. Second Kings chapter 2, it's told there, when they had crossed over, Elijah with a J said to Elijah with an S, says, tell me what can I do for you before I am taken from you. He doesn't hesitate one bit. He actually looks at the man and I can see him just in his heart. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Pretty powerful stuff. Pretty powerful, isn't it? Has anyone said that about you? Or would they dare say that about you? What would people want to inherit of yours? 
Now, that's the kind of guy that I want to know more about. So I look into that, and I say Elisha with a S or Elijah with a J. It's always helped me because I could always get those guys confused. But nonetheless, that's the guy I really want to get to know more about. And if there's more about him in the Word, I want to study it. So I have, and we're going to study it together as we go through this. But we have to set the stage. We have to know more about the guy that he wanted a double portion of. If you just jump over, you're going to miss something. So if this guy says, I want a double portion of what you have, if there's something said about that guy, I need to find out a little bit about that guy so that it might bless my life as well, or can I find a blessing in it? And I believe that we can. What did he see in this person that he wanted twice as much of? I'm sure all of us have favorite characters throughout the Bible and maybe even some favorites in the Old Testament. And during this time of the Old Testament, there's these, there's these kingdoms that are set up. God didn't plan that, but the people cried out for it and said, fine, here, if that's what you want, here we go. I think there's around 40 kings that came along, and about three of them were worth anything, maybe two more that were not too bad. The rest of them were sorry. That's just the bottom line. In fact, we're going to read about that in just a few moments here. But in this line, there were set up these kingdoms, and now they had to have a king or an earthly king in this process. And the prophet would come in, and the prophet would basically tell from God, he would share with them about what is to come in the future. And it was going to come to pass. Here's what God said. And most kings, most kings listened to the prophets, even though they didn't want that bad thing to happen. They would listen to them because they knew they had seen before that it had come to pass in their life. So Elijah comes into the picture, 1 Kings chapter 17. I would encourage you to read the whole story for yourself. So read 1 Kings and then read on into 2 Kings if you want to because it's a really good read. Here we go. Now Elijah, uh, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither rain nor dew, dew or rain in the next few years except by my word. Now keep in mind, a prophet is speaking from God. He just didn't come in there and make that stuff up. Now, why would Elijah go before the king and tell him that the waters from the sky, from the heavens, if you will, are going to stop? Well, to understand that, you have to back up just a little bit more. You have to understand some of the background of that day. God's people during this time in the earthly kingdoms, in this process, they were pretty, again, pretty ugly people in the sense of what they did to God's people. And Ahab, on two different occasions, it's told about this man, and both times when it mentions him, it is not good news. First Kings chapter 21, the scripture says, there was never anyone like Ahab. If it stopped there, you could think, wow, Ahab is a pretty good guy. But not the case. Who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. Now, you don't want to leave the wife out, but this one here, you really want to leave out, trust me. There is a reason why mamas don't name their babies Jezebel. We're going to discover that in a couple, uh, over the next couple of weeks together. But that's another story. Here we go. 
So after the, uh, informing the king that there would be no rain in the land for the next several years, except for his praying that there would be, Elijah goes on this journey. So some time, drought sets in. Well, I mentioned how bad he was, but you have to back up a little further to find out where did he get his bad from. Again, pointing back to the generation to generation, we pass something along. So what we're going to do is just take a quick look at his daddy. His daddy. This goes back to 1 Kings chapter 16. And we read about Ahab's father there. His name is Omri, O-M-R-I, Omri, some would say. He was the, he was the king. And this guy was really bad as well. Look at 1 Kings 16, 25, for it says, But Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and sinned more than all the others before him. Wait a minute. We just read that about his son, which is to come. So this guy was bad. Now his son is worse than his father. These guys are not good, trust me, at all. You can read more for yourself. I think the important thing here is to see is what we pass to the next generation. We have an opportunity to pass to the next generation something of great value. And hopefully they'll pull off of that value that we give them to take to the next generation and do even greater things with it. Our society today, listen closely, this is why Christians have to grow, need to grow, are called to grow spiritually. Our world today is on a fast pace to hell. Period. And it is preaching loud and clear what the next generation will absorb. And what they absorb is not good. This is where we come in. We got a big job to do. This is why it's so important that we grow spiritually. If you don't grow spiritually, you will not hand off the baton to your children and your grandchildren with great success for their life. It'll be weakened and it'll only become weaker unless somebody imparts something into their life. We are called to be those people. Give me an amen. All right, so as we move on down about number 29, verse 29 or 30 there, and I know these are small letters on the screen there, but Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial, notice what he says, it's just trivial. It's trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam and uh, the son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, the daughter of Ithbal, or whatever you pronounce it there, and began to serve Baal and worship him. Now watch this. He even sets up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, and the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Rutrow, something is about to get somebody's attention. Ahab also made an Asher pole and did more to arouse, notice this, did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. Understand something here real clearly. We, how we worship and who we worship, God knows. From the very beginning, God said what? Thou shall have no other gods before me. And what that means, folks, is it doesn't mean that we pull God out on a Sunday and polish him up, put him on a mantle and say, yes, we worship you, God, and put him back in the box until next week. It means that God is first in our life on Sunday, but he's first in our life on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Give me an amen. Amen. 
Because God said, I will have no other gods before me. If God says, I'll have no other gods before me, he means that. He meant that then, he means that now. So we have to be careful of how and who it is that we are worshiping. He sees clearly into our hearts of worship. And the person or a nation cannot, cannot fool God. This is why it is important, once again, to grow spiritually. How you doing? We started in January. Would you think you're a little bit further along now, here at middle of, end of August, whatever? A little bit? Nah, I just show up. You better dig in because it matters. It matters. I would also add here a little side note here, and this is back again to the marrying thing, and this would be for young people, people that are not married. Who you marry makes a difference in your life. Be careful who you date. Why would I say that? It's very simple. Because who you date is who you will marry. Ahab, along with his wife Jezebel, had tipped the scales of God. And a heavy price was about to be paid on God's people once again. Ahab did more to arouse the anger as we mentioned there. This teaches us very clearly, yes, that God is patient because king after king after king, all this stuff was happening, but God is patient. But there comes a time when God says, it's enough. I will do something to get your attention. Someone said there's an easy way and a hard way. An easy way for us is to be humble before God. A hard way is for God to humble us. So bow the knee quick. It's a really good piece of advice. It's free of charge. It doesn't cost you anything. Our world today, just look at it. And someone's going to say, oh, he's going to get political. I'm not going to get political. I'm going to get biblical. You just take a look at our world today for the ungodly things that are taking place. Ungodly things. Not opinions. Ungodly things. And it is to a point where now it is being forced upon Christians. Listen. Forced upon Christians to agree with or we will be punished. That's a fact. Now think 20 years from now, 30 years from now, many of us in this room won't be here. 40 years from now, few more won't be here. 50 years from now, what will our world look like? If it continues to head in the direction it's heading in, will there come a time when God says, enough? I'm not sure, but I got a feeling that our daddy is not happy. This is why it is so important for Christians to grow spiritually. It's the value of what it is that the next generation will grab a hold of. This is why I say we must make God so attractive, so loving, and so attractive that the next generation desires that more than the lust of the world. 
so that when they grab a hold of that, they pull into the next generation and it becomes greater and greater than we ever thought was great. That's what we desire. Do you desire that for yourself, for your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren? Sure you do. This is why it's important for us to do that. And this is another reason we have to stay strong spiritually so that we will not be fooled by the world. Because the world will come in and they will paint it in such a way that it looks pretty doggone good. It looks like, well, that's not so bad. I mean, that's okay, isn't it? And before you know it, you're just accepting it. If you're accepting it and you're accepting something that God says is not right in my eyes. And when they set up these, these altars, people accepted it. Oh, some rejected, no doubt. And many were put to death because of. But many just said, well, it's not that bad. God hadn't done nothing to us, so I guess God must be taking a break. And so we think like that sometimes. Worship should bring many things to our lives and our spirit. It should bring great joy to our lives. It should bring great peace to our lives. But we should never forget that it should bring a humble heart. For that is precisely what God is after in all of us. In all of us. It's a humble heart. We would sing sometimes, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes. That's why we come. That's why we sing. That's why we commune. That's why we worship God. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you today in your presence, in the songs, in the communion together, in the service, in your word, in the prayer, and my brothers and my sisters. I want to see you. I want to see you. And you see, when I'm around you, that's what I see. When I come together and I see some of you, I see God in you, displayed in you in a powerful way that just excites me and brings me great joy because I see that you love God, that you worship Him, the one true God. Whatever. Back to the story. Elijah, 1 uh, 1 Kings 17. Notice this. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. There you're going to be fed by this raven. Yuck, morning and night. Imagine that. You get fed by this raven. I don't know that ravens carry around that good of a thing. You know what I'm saying? But every morning, every night, here you go, from a bird. It's total reliance upon God. Total reliance upon God. All right. Notice God said in this verse number, uh, and I may need your help, Kyle. I'm not sure, but maybe I can start. Um, in verse 3, it says, and hide, and I will take care of you. Hide. Hmm. We sing the song. Hide me away, O Lord. Hide me away, O Lord. In the day of trouble, neath the shadow of your wings. Hide me away, O Lord. I love that song. Hide me away. 
two things that I want you to see in this passage here. Number one, the Lord knows what you need. Do do you think that Elijah was thinking, man, I would like a nice, comfortable bed. I would like a house. I would like a car. I would like a membership at the club. God says, you go there, and I'll give you exactly what you need. And God wants you to know today that God knows exactly, He knows exactly what you and I need. Number two, you have to learn to trust Him completely to have that. When you let the Lord hide you away, He will take care of you. You just have to trust. Elijah was being taken care of. But I believe Elijah was learning something powerful for something to come in the future. And I think something that we can learn from. Great leaders, Christians, ministers spiritual, spiritually mature Christians, people that are in Christ Jesus, are those individuals that have taken their shelter in Christ. That's where we've taken our shelter. Who else can we be sheltered by? No one. But we take our shelter in Christ and we have learned for ourselves to trust God and Him alone. And no matter what we're in and what we've done or where we're at in life, we've learned to trust God no matter what. Those are signs of good leaders, that you trust your ultimate leader. Even when it doesn't make sense, because they know that if they follow in obedience, they will lead their followers to greater blessings. I love that fact about God. Parents, follow Christ. Follow Christ in obedience, and your children will have greater blessings. Church, follow Christ. May we follow Christ in obedience and we will receive greater blessings still. The great blessings of Western Hills that we've had throughout the history of Western Hills, now 55 years old. If you'll go back and look at its records and you will see every growth movement, every movement of something that is good that happens, you will find that it is because some leadership group, some group of individuals chose to be obedient when it seemed to the world around them to not make any sense. It's total trust in God. The next step in his journey, Elijah comes across the widow lady. I love this part of the story. He comes across this widow lady here and her son. And in this process, um, now keep in mind, by this time the drought and the rain has gone. The drought has set in. No rain. People are suffering greatly. This is not an Oklahoma drought. Praise God for the rain, amen? August and we're getting this rain? Thank you, Lord. This is not an Oklahoma drought. The weatherman comes on the TV and he says, "Here, I can see it. Here's the extended forecast for the next three years. Zero percent chance of rain. I'm going on a long vacation. I can just see him doing that. This is a major drought. 
There is nothing. So he comes across this lady and her son. She's a widow lady. Now, I don't know what happened to her husband. Maybe he was out working and trying to get more food. Maybe he's already, he's already dried up. He just, he tried everything he could. I don't know. Maybe he ran away. I'm not sure. But nonetheless, you can read all of about the story starting with verse number 11 or 7. But he asked the lady to bring him a drink and a piece of bread to eat. He is asking this lady in this drought to give everything she has away. What's the importance of that? Well, do you remember in the New Testament when the lady gave the two copper coins and Jesus said something about her? You remember what he said? Nobody's given as much as her, pretty much. She's given it all. Somebody's saying, wait a minute, I gave more. I gave her $100. She gave two copper pennies. Come on, give me a break here. Yeah, you gave $100, but you still got $200 in your pocket. This lady ain't got no more pennies in her pocket. She gave everything. There's something about giving all that takes God's notice. Do you know that? How do I know that? If you give him all of your heart, he gives you salvation. If you give him some of your heart, you think you have salvation. There's a difference. Because he knows. Now watch. In this... When you learn to release all you have, write it down. When you learn to release all you have, which is limited resources. Because you could have more than everybody in this room or everybody in this room combined. You could have more, but it's still limited. And it can all be lost. Just read Job's story. So ours is limited resources. But when you learn to release all you have, which is limited, God will show up with all that you need, which is unlimited resources. So much so that he controls the birds of the air. Go get him a piece of bread. Send some fresh water down from the mountain. Unlimited. Why? Because we are limited people. God is an unlimited God. If you connect with an unlimited God, you get unlimited things. You connect with people, you get limited things, and limited things have a limit. Pretty much true, isn't it? We decide which one we connect with the most. As surely as the Lord God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil, olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks here to take home and make a meal for me and my son. And then we may eat so that we may eat and die. What's she saying there? You've heard this story before, haven't you? This lady is simply saying, I love my family. Listen, mister, I love my family, and I'm out here, and I'm searching, I'm scrapping, I'm scraping, I'm trying everything my, I can do, everything that I have been able to do day after day. I'm scrounging, and I can uh, to just get something to provide for them, and I'm only here today. And I will tell you, I'm at the end of my ropes And I realize that I am finished after this. I'm done. There is no hope. Leave me alone. Go on your way. I have nothing for you. You have nothing for me. Get out of here. There's nothing that I can do for you. Nothing you can do for me. That's what I'm thinking. Do you see the suffering in this lady before this day? You see, what we want to do is we want to just see a lady that says, Oh, this guy came along and said, Hey, give me some bread, but ain't being pancakes forever. I want you to see what this lady went through the days before, the weeks before, the months before. 
and the suffering and the hurt and the pain and the agony of someone trying and crying out for food. Someone, can we find anything? Nothing. Here's a little. And you know a mother. Mothers, you know this well. You will give every bit of your food for your child. But it's not enough. She realizes that. Did you know that there are people in our world today that feel just like that? Perhaps you feel like that today. There's nothing left. I'm finished. I'm done. Close the book. Write the end. Because I'm done. Nothing can be done. My friend, listen closely. When you are at the bottom of the bucket, in fact, if you're under the bucket... There is still hope when God's in the picture. And somebody needs to tell you today that God is still in the picture of your life as well. It is perhaps when he reveals himself the best when we discover that we are at the bottom. Elijah simply tells her, I like this part of the story. Elijah simply says this, Simply, he says, I, I, I understand your situation, ma'am. I understand it completely. But what you need to do is you need to go home and you need to make me a loaf of bread and you need to give me something to eat because I have some news for you today. For your forecast is about to change. Little did she know in that moment See, we read past and see, hoo-hoo. But little did she know in that moment, but great faith she had. Even in the moment of assured death. All it was going to do is move it up a little faster. And so here she is. Here's what it says. For this is what the Lord God of says, Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day of the Lord sends the rain on the land. Once again, I would say great leaders, mature Christians, stay on task even when it doesn't make sense because this made no sense. Would you have done that? A stranger. A mother, again, would give her last meal to her children. Always. But this mother is taking her last meal and her son's last meal and giving it to a stranger. Makes no sense. Doesn't have to make sense if you have great faith. Watch. Because their trust is in not what they see. That's faith. Elijah saw the drought, he saw the people, he saw the hurting, he saw the hungry, he saw the thirsty. How do I know that? Because he was begging this woman for himself. And just because you are a leader, a spiritual person, and walking with God, it does not mean that you won't be hungry and thirsty yourself. Great leaders grow through droughts with their followers. And it strengthens them and their followers. Do you know that? Anybody in been in the military, you know that. You know the commander that will walk through hell with you. And you know the ones that will get in the Jeep and drive away. 
and there is a great respect for one and not so much for the other, but you'll salute anyway. Remember this verse that we've read before in Luke chapter 1? For nothing is impossible for God. For nothing is impossible for God. Read that. For nothing is impossible for God. Say it again. A little bit louder. A little bit louder. Aha. Everything for me has a limit. Remember the limit and there's no limit? Limited resources, unlimited resources, big difference. Nothing is impossible for God. Great leaders never forget that even when everybody else around them has forgotten that God is still in control. Stay in the game, we say, sports terms. That is that what makes the difference between ordinary and extraordinary. We take the extra and add it to the front of ordinary. You decide whether you want to be extraordinary or ordinary in life. Who wants extra, extra, extra? Read all about it. Who wants to be extra? Anybody? You got to put that extra in front of the ordinary because everybody is ordinary. Christians are called to be extraordinary. Can I have an amen? amen. I worked on that one all week. No, I'm just kidding. Now notice. Notice the faith of the lady. Remember she said in verse number 12, As surely as the Lord God lives, she replied. Now in that, I like this because she started off by saying, As surely as the Lord God lives, that is almost exactly what Elijah said when he went into the court of the king and said, As surely as the Lord God of Israel lives. He's the prophet. She's just the widow lady. Whoa. Perhaps she was the greatest faith of all. Because she doesn't know what's going on. You see, Elijah has privy to what's going on. He knows that God is going to carry through what God has said, which it's not going to rain until you pray again, and I'm going to let you know when that is. And we'll get to that next week. Wonderful story. Don't miss. Tape it. Hit the DVR or something. It's going to be good. Not because I'm going to be in it, because these people are in it. An ordinary Christian with extraordinary faith hangs on no matter what. I want to be like that. Spiritual growth helps me be like that. Or more like that, I should say. How about you? Do you want to be like that? Do you really want to be that way? If this story was about you, would would it say the same thing? Because see, something in your life, some place in your life, this has been you. And you either came up with this great faith connection or you just said, hey, bud, bug off. But the only difference is God didn't take you out. God's allowed you to have another day, another time, another season to be able to say, oh yeah, I'll be right back with a plate load of pancakes. Because I got faith in my God. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day. Not every other day. Every day. And for the woman and her family. I find that interesting because it moves from her and her son to now her family. 
I don't know if somebody was resurrected while they were or not, not at this point, but a little bit later on they are, actually. But I don't know if there was more in the background. You know, some people just kind of leave until you got plenty of food and then they show up. Huh? Potluck Sunday's coming. I don't know. I just thought that one up. But for the jar of flour was not used up, the joy of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken to Elijah. So God holds his promises true. Amen? Watch this. Every day they looked out the windows. Every day they looked out the window. And they saw absolutely nothing. But every day they looked at the table and they saw plenty. Every day. What's on your table? If your focus is on what's out there, you can miss what's in here. What God has provided you with. Two things I want you to see there as we close. If God's people stay committed to the task at hand, God's blessings will not stop. That's why I want to be stronger than ever. Before I retire, I want to be stronger than ever. I want it to be stronger than ever. Why? Because I want to pass the baton to someone that comes in and doesn't have to pick up the load, but they're saying, my, my, look what God has done. And then just shoots for the moon and gets there. Oh, they're going for the sun now, so what the heck. Do you see the importance of growing spiritually? It is important. Growing spiritually helps us stay committed in the droughts that we all face or will face. Number two, who you listen to makes a world of difference in your life. Listen to the right people. In this particular scripture here in Deuteronomy, it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. That's really what you need to know. Period. He is the faithful God, keeping His covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love Him and keep His commandments. Are you growing spiritually is the question this morning. Are you growing in the covenant of His love and are you committed to do what God has called you to do? My friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, giving your life to Christ doesn't exempt you from the droughts of life. However, it assures you that God will provide in the droughts of your life. Give your life to Christ. Give it back to Christ. Don't go through these droughts alone because God wants to be with you all the way. Whatever your need, whatever your desire is, today we stand ready to help you while we sing this song. Whatever it is, you come together as we stand and sing. Let it be known.